welcome to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds, a weekly podcast for pharmacists, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners who are interested in learning more about clinical pharmacology topics. I'm your host, Garrett Schramm, Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic. To claim pharmacology CE credit or to get a copy of presentation slides, visit ce.mayo.edu slash pharmacy podcast. According to the World Health Organization, sepsis has a mortality rate of 27 to 42% and incurs upwards of $41 billion in hospital costs annually in the United States. The desire to find a novel intervention to reduce sepsis-associated mortality has never been higher. Vitamin C in sepsis has been a hot topic in critical care medicine the past five years, stemming from a 2017 retrospective pre-post study. Since then, millions of dollars have been spent on additional research evaluating the role of vitamin C in sepsis treatment, but findings suggest no difference in mortality and even potential harm. Joining us today to put the squeeze on vitamin C is Mayo Clinic pharmacist, Dr. Mark Layden. So the story of vitamin C in our septic patients has been a roller coaster ride. Some places use it, others don't. The question remains, however, when and how did all of this come about? Everyone, grab your shovels. We have a lot to dig through. But before we start digging away into the story, we'll need to do a 10,000-foot overview of sepsis and deep dive into vitamin C in our critically ill population. From there, we'll go back in time and move forward, exploring literature as it is published and hope to relive the rise and fall of vitamin C and its emotions. The mortality rate of sepsis is quite high. As you can see in our graph, we made significant strides in medicine in the past few decades, but our mortality, depending on socioeconomic factors and setting, we see mortality rate ranging anywhere from 25 to 50%, and we still have yet to make any further breakthroughs. It is estimated that sepsis accounts for one of three hospital deaths in the United States, racking up an annual death toll of 1.7 million. We know in sepsis, the primary definition is an organ dysfunction due to dysregulated host response to infection. On the right, you will see my grand drawing of a cell. Let us now visualize some bacteria as indicated by the lightning bolts. Bacteria will infect the cell and elicit our body's immune response, which includes pro-inflammatory mediators such as TNF-alpha and IL-1. You will have your, your body's natural anti-inflammatory mediators such as IL-10 and IL-4 and TGF-beta. Our phagocytes do a great job when activated by an infection. It releases oxidizing agents referred to as reactive oxygen species, which leads to deactivation and virus, uh, deactivation of viruses and killing of bacteria. Unfortunately, reactive oxygen species are also harmful to the host cell and the immune over response can result in progressive tissue damage, playing a role in the pathogenesis of sepsis. Now let's introduce our vitamin C, which are potent non-enzymatic antioxidants, which are depicted as the scrub daddy. 
There are also cofactors for many enzymatic processes, such as catecholamine synthesis, and regulate gene expression, enhancing production and differentiation of our immune cells. We will see a stronger response in our immune system and anti-inflammatory pathways. We will have a reduction in reactive oxygen species and an increase in the structural integrity of our cell. Let us now deep dive into vitamin C's effect across the entire body. In our septic patients, it is known that our patients will have low or undetectable vitamin C level. This has been associated with organ failure progression and mortality. We just saw a cellular look, so now let's paint with a broader stroke. General effects of sepsis include oxidative stress, release of inflammatory mediators, endothelial dysfunction, vasoplegia, which is a symptom of pathological low systemic vascular resistance and mitochondrial dysfunction. Now, oxidative stress happens across the entire body, but let's look at an example um, in a subset with our brain. When free radicals are abundant, we can see delirium, confusion, and neuronal injury. The brain will increase the body temperature to try to increase our sympathetic outflow. Again, the proposed mechanism of vitamin C is to reduce the oxidative stress, decrease inflammation, and increase cerebral blood flow, improving responsiveness and alertness in addition to assisting in lowering our body temperature. Release of inflammatory mediators again happen throughout the cross of body, but let's look at the lungs as an example. If sepsis is not treated adequately, it can progress to acute respiratory distress syndrome, such as ARDS. We can see tachypnea as we try to compensate for the higher retention of carbon dioxide. Again, the proposed mechanism of vitamin C is reducing that inflammation and oxidative stress, helping in increasing our lungs' effectiveness in pulling oxygen into the bloodstream. For endothelial dysfunction, which is caused by the superoxide and free radicals, can cause our arteries to narrow. Our heart will then compensate and try to increase our cardiac output through increasing our heart rate. Vitamin C, in turn, will reduce that inflammation, helping promote the hemodynamic stability. In sepsis, our vessels will experience vasodilation and lowers blood pressure in the presence of normal or elevated cardiac output. As mentioned before, catecholamine synthesis is dependent on vitamin C, and vitamin C plays a role in increasing catecholamine sensitivity. Therefore, theoretically, we can reduce vasopressor requirement and increase our arterial pressure and capillary flow. With mitochondrial in dysfunction, we can look at the kidneys as one example, contributing to sublethal and lethal injury of the kidney tubules and consequent loss of renal function. Proposed mechanism of vitamin C is at reducing the oxidative stress and reactive oxygen species, which is increased by the mitochondrial dysfunction and stimulates endothelial nitric oxide synthase and restoring adequate renal function. So as you can see here, vitamin C plays a role across a multitude of organs in our body just due to its cellular effects and various mechanisms. So that brings us to our first audience question. So you guys can put your shovels down, grab your phones out, log on to polyv.com slash MayoRx, or you can text and click anywhere on the diagram where vitamin C potentially plays a role in the critically ill population with sepsis. All right, as the responses roll in, very great, very good job, everyone. So you guys hit the mark. 
vitamin C plays a role across all the major organ systems. As long as you didn't click anywhere outside of the body, you pretty much got it right. So the lungs, the heart, the kidneys, the vessel, and the brain, they all, just because of vitamin C cellular effects of that reduction in inflammation and reduction in oxidative stress, we can see that benefit across our entire body. So we talked about the high mortality of sepsis, and this is what Dr. Merrick and colleagues were trying to address. We are yearning for a breakthrough. What helped in his selection in the intervention was the knowledge of sepsis and vitamin C's multifunctionality in our body. He stated in his study that in order to have a global impact and to address this global issue, we need not only an effective treatment, but one that is cheap, safe, and readily available. So this was a retrospective pre-post study, which was conducted at Centera Norfolk General, a tertiary care referral hospital. American colleagues added thiamine and hydrocortisone for its theoretical synergistic effect with vitamin C to limit mitochondrial oxidative injury and restore mitochondrial function and energy production. For this presentation, again, I will mostly focus on vitamin C, although some of our future studies that we present will revisit this Merrick cocktail or hat therapy. So they were divided into two groups from uh, January 2016 through July 2016 in this pre-post study. So the comparison for this intervention group, they included hat, which was hydrocortisone, 50 milligrams every six hours for seven days or until ICU discharge, followed by a taper over three days. The A in HAT is ascorbic acid, so vitamin C, 1.5 grams every six hours for four days or until ICU discharge. And the T in HAT is thiamine, 200 milligrams every 12 hours for four days or until ICU discharge. The comparison group were treated during the preceding seven months with the standard of care being the mainstay of treatment. For primary outcome, they were looking at hospital mortality with secondary outcome being main duration of vasopressor therapy in hours and a 72 hour change in SOFA score from baseline to that day three. And SOFA score standing for sequential organ failure assessment. That is an ICU validated tool to assess severity of illness. So the higher the SOFA score, the worse the patient outcome. Baseline characteristics were pretty much well matched across the pre and post group. What they found was the intervention group had a reduction in mortality, a reduction in the duration of vasopressor therapy, and then also a significant change in the baseline SOFA score showing improvement. So in conclusion, HAT therapy may be effective in preventing progressive organ dysfunction and reducing mortality in patients with sepsis and septic shock. So this was a hypothesis generating study and it sparked debate around the world. These agents were not new, but one with 50 years of clinical experience around the safety profile. In the podcast, Dr. Merrick commented saying that we treated over 300 patients and the results are exactly the same. It's predictable like gravity. I know it works and I see it every day. And so it, this got media attention, made national news. And so really it was hailed as, was this the cure for sepsis? And so everyone thought this might be the magic bullet. 
Other institutions adopted the protocol right away and added to the literature set claiming that this work, what Dr. Merrick and his colleagues found was exactly right. And then we had on the flip side, because of the national coverage, the excitement, the emotion, it propelled a need to validate these results. Right? Clinicians are looking for randomized controlled trial and that's what exactly what it propelled. And interestingly enough, during this time, it takes years you found yourself in either two buckets. Either you supported Dr. Merrick's claim saying that vitamin C and this hat therapy was the way to go and you automatically started prescribing it in your patients. Or you were on the other bucket where you did not believe in this study. You wanted to see a stronger trial show the result. And then so what happened was you were left in this dilemma of we're waiting a few years before we give it to the patient and then what if the trial results validates Dr. Merrick's study and says that this does in fact improve mortality? Then during that whole time you're waiting, you were, you were potentially not giving a patient a life-saving medication. And so it put the phys the, our physician colleagues in a rock and a hard place. And really there was no right or wrong answer. And originally it was, what was the risk? That was the question. And we know that with these three, three drugs, the risk wasn't that high. So here's a temporal visual to give you all a greater appreciation for what the hypothesis generating study created in terms of its ripple effect. Fortunately, we don't have enough time to go through every single one of these trials. There's just a lot to dig through and not enough shovels. So we'll go through a few of them. And just to orient you, the red brackets is just the enrollment period. So I included the time they started enrollment to the time that this study was published in its respective journals. First one we'll talk about briefly is the Citrus ALI. So this happened before the Merrick study, and it doesn't study the HAP protocol as found in Merrick, but it is one of the first multi, large multi-center randomized controlled trial investigating vitamin C. Now they were looking at acute respiratory distress syndrome secondary to sepsis and note that the difference in the intervention group was high dose vitamin C at 50 mg per kg for four days compared to placebo. And so the patients were well-matched at baseline. And then for primary outcome, they were looking at SOFA score difference and then and then for secondary outcomes, they were looking at 28-day mortality and median ICU-free days to day 28. What they found was no difference in the primary outcome. So between both groups, there was no difference with the SOFA score. But they did find that the secondary outcome of 28-day mortality and median ICU-free days to day 28 was significant in our intervention group. And so we had an uh, improved mortality benefit with the vitamin C group. And then we are able to get them out of the ICU a lot longer. And so what they concluded was a 96 hour infusion of vitamin C compared to placebo did not significantly improve organ dysfunction score or alter markers of inflammation and vascular injury. With oranges, so the, the reason I present oranges is if you know in that temporal timeline, Oranges was actually published after vitamins, but I include oranges first because they started the enrollment first compared to oranges. And, and vitamins was published just five months prior to the publication of oranges. 
Their main goal was to address and answer American colleagues' claim and understand the effect of HAT therapy on clinical outcomes in sepsis and septic shock. So this was a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial conducted in February 2018 to June 2019 across two community non-teaching hospitals in the U.S. They included patients who were compliant with the three-hour sepsis bundle and had diagnosis of sepsis or septic shock within 12 hours of admission. We would note that around this time, guidelines updated in 2018 to reduce that three-hour bundle to be a one-hour bundle. But they note that they kept it at the three-hour time frame since enrollment had already began. They received HAT therapy as designed in the Merrick protocol and versus the matching placebo for four days. Primary outcomes include resolution of shock and change in SOFA score after the four days from baseline. Secondary outcome were many, but I just wanted to include ICU mortality. For this group, the mean, mean baseline SOFA score with both groups was around eight. And what they found was the resolution of shock was reduced with the HAT therapy. So we found improvement with that. So less time to resolution. They did not find a difference in SOFA score or ICU mortality. And so they conclude that HAT significantly reduced the time to resolution of shock. But when we think of resolution of shock, we think of potential confounders, which could be hydrocortisone. In this group, right, hydrocortisone was included in the HAT, but placebo, not so much. And we know that from the adrenal and approach trial, it revealed significant hemodynamic benefits with the use of hydrocortisone in septic shock. This study made me question, what is the primary driver of the primary outcome of HAT therapy? Was it really ascorbic acid? Was it thiamine? Was it hydrocortisone? Or was it all three or a combination of one or two? So there's still questions out there after this trial. And so I hope future trials will address this. So in summary of the three trials that I just presented, Merrick found improvement in mortality. Dr. Fowler and Citrus ALI, they did not find significant differences in the primary outcome, but secondary outcome 28-day mortality showed improvement. So again, two hypothesis generating study because of this. Oranges, they found resolution of shock and I put improved as yellow because of that potential confounder. But mortality wise, no difference. So this brings me to my second question. So put your shovels down again, grab your phones. What is the proposed benefit regarding vitamin C for sepsis in the critically ill population? Is it A, vitamin C has been associated with an increase in ICU length of stay? Is it B, vitamin C has been associated with reduction in mechanical ventilation days? Is it C, vitamin C reduces hospital co co costs for patients? Or is it D, vitamin C has been associated with reduction in mortality? Very good, guys. You all have been paying attention. The correct answer is D, as in dog. Vitamin C has been associated with reduction in mortality. It is not A, because Citrus ALI did find a difference in reduction in the ICU-free days. It is not B. B, um, vitamin C has found an association with reduction in mechanical ventilation days. We haven't addressed this yet, but contain your excitement. We will 
when we talk about our fall. And C, vitamin C reduces hospital costs in patients. So we knew from the previous trial that it showed mortality benefit and it did reduce some ICU days, but we don't know how long they stayed in the hospital or how long it took for them to be discharged. So we can't make this assessment in the claim. So remember how I had asked you guys that question. I was wondering about that potential confounder with oranges, and I hope that future trials can answer it. So the answer was with vitamins. It does address that question about that potential confounder and hydrocortisone. So this was another response to the Merrick study. And so this was a multi-center randomized open-label trial across 10 ICUs in Australia, New Zealand, and Brazil in May 2018 to July 2019. They include patients who were on vasopressors and had suspected or documented infection and elevated lactate levels. They were divided into two groups. So a hat for a total of 10 days, note the difference between this and the Merrick protocol versus hydrocortisone for 10 days. And so now this time they made it a requirement in the control group to address hydrocortisone. They, inc they increased the duration to show more, to see a better timeline of the proposed benefit of, this, of the intervention. And so really isolating HAT, trying to see if it does improve that primary outcome of time alive and free of vasopressors up to day seven. So now we're isolating that hydrocortisone alone. And then we're really just looking at ascorbic acid and diamond. Secondary outcomes were many, but I only included two that was pertinent to this presentation. So 90-day mortality and change in SOFA score at day three from baseline. What they found was no difference between the primary outcome of days alive and free of vasopressors between the group. They found no difference in mortality. And the SOFA score difference, they did find a difference there, but this was the only outcome that found it. And the authors did talk about that it should be taken cautiously as um, the outcome was really only measured in patients who were alive in the ICU on day three. So it was subject to bias as patients may have been early discharged due to recovery or death. And so they conclude that HAT did not significantly improve the duration of time alive and free of vasopressor administration over seven days. And one of the questions that I had with that trial was, okay, so we know that hydrocortisone is probably the primary driver in that resolution of shock compared in oranges, thanks to that vitamins trial. But I wonder if timing plays a role as well. So one thing to note is in oranges, HAT therapy took about 9.9 .9 hours before they received that intervention versus vitamins, it could, because of the exclusion criteria, it can occur up to 24 hours before they get that intervention. And so this trial here, Victus, actually addresses that timing issue. So this one was a multi-center randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial looking at patients enrolled in the ED or ICU at 43 hospitals in the U.S. from August 2018 to July 2019. Adult patients who had suspected acute respiratory and or cardiovascular dysfunction and a planned ICU admission was included to receive the Merrick study HAP protocol compared to placebo within four hours of randomization. 
And then concurrently, HAT therapy was then administered every six hours thereafter. Primary outcome was looking at number of consecutive ventilator and vasopressor-free days in the first 30 days. So it's a very unique primary outcome there. There were many as well in secondary outcomes, but I only included two for this presentation. So 30-day mortality and 180-day mortality. The baseline SOFA score in this was around nine for both groups. And what they found was no difference between the groups with the primary outcome and also in the secondary outcome. What they concluded was HAT did not significantly increase ventilator and vasopressor-free days within 30 days. Of note, this trial was terminated early after about 500 patients were enrolled due to funder change in priorities. So the other limitation is that we might have not have met power to detect a difference. But based on just the results right now, I wonder if we did have power, would it even make any much of a difference? The next one is addressing Merrick's study and also Citrus ALI. It was also in response to a recent meta-analysis looking, suggesting that IV vitamin C is safe and may be associated with a trend towards reduction in overall mortality. So this was an international multi-center parallel group across 25 medical and surgical ICUs in Canada, France, and New Zealand from November 2018 to July 2021. Patients were admitted to the ICU with proven or suspected infection and being treated with vasopressors. They were randomized into the high-dose vitamin C group for four days compared to placebo, so similar to citrus ALI, different than Merrick in terms of just isolating the vitamin C component. Primary outcome was composite of death or persistent organ dysfunction. Secondary outcome were, again, many, but I only included two, is medium number of days without organ dysfunction ICU at day 28 and death by six months. With baseline characteristics, I do want to note that since this was during COVID, uh, there was 8.6% COVID positive patients in vitamin C and six in the control. And co-interventions of glucocorticoids and thiamine were performed at the discretion of the treatment team. So it was well matched across the base across the two groups at baseline. So glucocorticoids was administered uh, around 45% in each group. And so what they found was an increased risk in deaf or persistent organ dysfunction. Secondary outcomes, there was no difference, only the primary. So what they concluded was that those who received IV vitamin C had a higher risk of death or persistent organ dysfunction at 28 days. We went over a lot of trials in such a short time. So I include this summary table for those that uh, kind of lost, lost track. And so this one, the Citrus ALI, again, did not find improvement in SOFA score in that primary outcome. But in that secondary outcome, they did show improvement. So another hypothesis generating study with merit. Chang's study, I didn't go over this one, but this one was a single center randomized controlled trial in China and it compared HAT versus placebo 
with the primary outcome of 28-day all-cause mortality, and they found no difference in that one. Oranges, again, we found that resolution of shock improved in our intervention group, but a potential confounder for the hydrocortisone. Vitamins address what oranges miss or that gap, and so found no difference in that time alive and off vasopressors. Although the question was still with timing, Victus answered that timing and looked at ventilator and vasopressor-free days and found no difference. Love it, address citrus ALI, and in addition also talked about Merrick's protocol and found harm with deaf and organ dysfunction with just high dose vitamin C. So let's compare the oranges to oranges. Two studies found that it was shown benefit. And looking at the methodology and how the trials were set up, most of them were single-centered. They were retrospective, small, small sample size, and really not a lot of power to detect differences. And it was hypothesis generating at best. On the other hand, on the scale, you have you have randomized placebo-controlled trials to reduce bias and confounders. They were international and multi-centered to give more external validity in our patient population. So looking at the, the entire picture of the balance scale, the scale tips more towards the recommendation against the use of vitamin C and sepsis due to the higher weight of the trial. So this brings me to my third question. Grab your phones. Based on the literature presented, would you advocate for the utilization of vitamin C in our critically ill population with sepsis? Got some good responses. There is no right or wrong on this one, really just to gauge what you guys' opinions are. So let's look again at the timeline here. What I want you all to appreciate is the nuances and differences of trial. They are all ultimately addressing the same question of vitamin C and sepsis, but each had a different flavor to it, whether it was the primary outcome or the interventions that they use in the duration. So you can see a multitude of differences in outcomes and then also the intervention group. And because all this study happened at one time, they all received funding from NIH. They all had to be a little bit different from each other to get that funding. So what's the verdict? A systematic review looked at 37 studies of vitamin C combined or monotherapy in sepsis patients looking at mortality benefit. Currently, our guidelines provide a weak recommendation against the use of vitamin C in patients with sepsis or septic shock. The systematic review found moderate certainty for 90-day mortality, risk ratio 1.07, and confidence intervals provided there. And they, can, and they support the current guideline recommendations. So a lesson for the future. Discontinue the utilization of vitamin C in sepsis and septic shock. We should always look at the risk and benefit. Before the Lovett trial was published, I probably would not have made much of a fight in terms of recommending or going against vitamin C. If a physician colleague wanted to use it, I would have been okay with it. It showed no difference in the study, but there was also no harm yet. 
as shown the safety data. But now with the Lovett trial being published and showing that harm compared to placebo, the risk and benefit has now changed. There seems to be more risk with minimal benefit. And so as we look back in the past five years and reflect on what has happened, I think it's important to remember with how we got here is that to recognize that we are human. Emotionally, we are tied to the treatments we see, the trials we, we see, and then also our patients. It's a, it's a good thing, right? Because that means we care. But at the same time, we should also remember that we're scientists. To critically analyze the literature presented towards us and also look at the methodology, ask if it's sound, critically analyze it all, and make a good recommendation based off of it. And as always, we should be champions of evidence-based pharmacy practice. As pharmacists, we look at three different things. What is presented in literature, what our institution currently practices and what our guidelines say, but ultimately it all goes towards how does this benefit our patient here, right? Those two might not work, one might work, and so really just putting the patient at the center of our care and making the best decision we can as a team collaboratively. And so this is not the first controversy that we have seen, and it certainly won't be the last. But if we remember these three things going forward, we can address any issues or controversies that come up and learn from it so that way we don't repeat that same mistake. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics.